0: Right, Mary, so we've made our lists, we've checked them twice, and we're just about ready to run through our wrap of the most important things of the year, right?
1: And work out if we've been naughty or nice. (laughs) Who are you, Santa?
0: (laughs) Well, I'm here here bearing gifts of the audio variety anyway, so
1: yeah. Nice, good save, good save. Well, where are we then? So we're, We're right at the end of 2020. Twenty One. No, we're not even. I've lost a whole year. <laughs> we're at the end of twenty twenty-one. What are we gonna do first? Should we just run through what's going what's gonna happen next after after yeah, the Christmas? Let's do, that, break? let's do that. Yeah. So we are gonna have two weeks off. That's the week between Christmas and New Year and the week that starts, I think, the third of Jan. After that, we are gonna be back with a book review. We mentioned we'd be doing the big reveal on the book. We are really, really excited because we get to speak to the author of the book this time, which is great. And the book is called Trillions.
0: Yeah, it's written by Robin Wigglesworth, who's an FT journalist, and the tagline is how a band of Wall Street renegades invented the index fund and changed finance forever. So it's actually a book about passive investing, interestingly.
1: Yeah, which is great because we I mean, we haven't really had a full debate necessarily on this podcast, but clearly the active versus passive debate is is age old in this industry. So, yeah, really keen to see his his take and speak to him in the new year.
0: Yeah, it'll, it'll be really good. It'll be really good. I mean, that book came out, I think, probably a couple of months ago. And Robin did a bit of the podcast circuit already. He was on Barry Ritholtz' Masters in Business. That was really interesting. I listened to that. But I hadn't read the book yet. So I'm looking forward to getting into that over the Christmas break. So yeah, I guess, I guess the ask is to listeners, download that, have a read, should be good. And we will promise you an episode with the author in the new year, which
1: could be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I guess for anyone who is really desperate for some extra listening during that two-week period, plenty of episodes to go back to from the year, right? So I'm just wondering, Mary, do you know what our three most popular episodes are of the year?
1: Oh, so I think I know the most popular, which I think is still the Bitcoin one from February with with Josh from Ruffer, which was an excellent episode, Still holds up, I think, even though Bitcoin's kind of had a, I don't know how many peaks and troughs it's had actually since then, but at least one cycle. It feels like. Yeah,
0: no, I totally agreed. I mean, that really moved on my thinking about how to think and talk about Bitcoin, and I still go back to some of the arguments that Joss made in that episode. I think it was so well, so well said. I think Bitcoin is up quite a lot since then, but has been cut in half probably a couple of times as well. So, yeah, it still, it still holds up. And how interesting that's our most listened to episode. I think secretly a lot of people out there want to know about Bitcoin and crypto so maybe something we should think about a bit more
1: i think that's right yeah i think that's right
0: so second was our interview with james coney at the sunday times
1: oh yes yeah
0: so that was super interesting so completely different i guess we were talking about you know the way he and his journalists approach trying to communicate about money and about investing to people that that was really interesting episode i thought and he, he said a lot of a lot of interesting stuff
1: yeah the thing that really stuck with me from that was the responsibility that he feels
0: with mm, the information yeah. that's
1: put out, which I thought was, yeah, came across really strongly.
0: Yeah. And the third was a bit of a surprising one. I think I've got this right. But the third one surprised me, actually. It was the episode we did about the TCFD regulations, what you need to know about TCFD, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, of course, which has just come into force recently for the largest pension schemes in the UK. So, that was interesting. I would not have predicted yeah. that, but a lot, a, lot of, a lot of TCFD fans out there as well. So there you go.
1: Nice. And I suppose, yeah, it was probably well-timed in relation to when the deadline was on that one as well for those large pension schemes.
0: Cool. Well, shall we get to it, shall we?
1: Let's do it. Welcome to Investment Uncut.
0: An in Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis
1: and I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com.
0: Right so the way we decided we would do this, a bit different to our normal episodes, we've got a little bit of framework here haven't we Mary? Do you want to run through what we're going to do?
1: Yes. So we are going for four stats that sum up the year. That's four each. We'll discuss our stats and whether they are consistent or contradict each other. Three people that define the year and then two recommendations from each of us. We always ask our guests for recommendations. It feels like it's about time that, that we give you some of ours. I think we filtered some of ours through different episodes, but, but we'll sum up here. So Dan, do you want to kick off? What's your first stat that sums up the year?
0: My first that sums up the year is 67. And I think that is the number of new highs in the S&P 500 that we've had so far this year,
1: Wow! which
0: is quite a lot. This I think normally, yeah, normally you'd expect about 5% of trading days to have a high, which I think, so that would be something like around a bit more like 10 per year, 10, 15 per year. So 67, yeah, an awful lot of new market highs this year it's just been a relentlessly bullish bullish bull market hasn't it
1: i suppose bullish but also dropping away from that bullish point a number of times so overall bullish but a bit of volatility there as well i would have said but i guess that doesn't impact the highs does it because it's just it just keeps growing and that's what keeps hitting those high points
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, another point I was going to make, actually, and it's kind of getting onto one of my other stats a little bit, but we'll come back to it in a sec, is just the differences in the stocks that we've been driving those highs. And it, there's been a couple of quite interesting different stories this year. I mean, 2020, if you go back to the previous year, that really was all about the big tech firms that had sort of had some kind of earnings benefit from From COVID and all that. Whereas 2021, it started off a bit different, didn't it? Because you had that big kind of value investing, kind of, you had a lot of kind of energy stocks, a lot of cyclical stocks doing really well in the sort of early part of the year. But then if you look at the since June, really, since the summer, it's really back to being the very biggest group of tech stocks your Microsofts, your Googles, and Apples that have have really added a lot to it and sort of driven it. And so there, there's been a bit of a difference, obviously, on that basis between the US and European indices that don't have that.
1: Yeah. And actually, it's interesting because when we spoke to Charles Plowden in, I think, very early March, I think, of this year, and we were saying to him, you're a growth investor. You've done very well from tech stocks. Will it last? And there was a, at that point in time, there was a lot of doubt, wasn't there, that some of these really big tech firms that did so well in 2020 wouldn't necessarily keep up. But it feels like they've gone from strength to strength, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I always come back to something he said, actually, which was we sort of challenged him with that maybe slightly obvious point, which is, have these stock prices just been inflated because of low interest rates and discount rates? And he sort of said, yes, of course, that probably plays into the valuation a little bit. But these stocks are winning because they're winning in the real world. It's not just some funny money thing about discounting. And it is absolutely true when you look at the earnings and the revenues of those of those companies, they have been remarkably, even though they've already been very big. They've just kind of kind of continued. Actually, we've gone so much onto my second stack. Can I just do my second one? And then, and yeah, then we'll go over then. to you for a couple. So yep. <laughs> my second stat was $1 trillion, brackets $2 trillion. And that's kind of probably speaks for itself in some ways, but we've got, I think it's five companies that have hit the $1 trillion market cap level now. And just to reflect on how unthinkable that would have been five years ago, you know, you go back to 2016, biggest companies in the world were around about half a billion. If someone had told you in five years, you'd have sort of five companies, it was actually really six because you got Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and then sort of Facebook and Tesla are both knocking on the door of it. So kind of six companies, and that's not even counting Saudi Aramco, I suppose, but six companies that are around that level, I think it would have blown most people's minds. And then the fact that Microsoft and Apple have both sort of smashed through the two trillion level, and Apple's on the verge of getting through the three trillion mark, it is strange. I you know, I, I always say I feel like I only accepted that trillion was a real number like relatively recently. <laughs> I kind of feel like it was around about 2008 that the trillion came into the popular lexicon because suddenly numbers were that big. And I I swear at the time, I just thought, no, it's not a real number. I couldn't process it in my head. You know, it was just like, it just kind of, it didn't stick. But I think I've recently had to accept that it is actually a real number. And you've got like actual companies now that are worth that much
1: individually. Yeah, as you said, not just one. Incredible star company that dominates everything else. Actually, there's a whole handful of companies at that level, so it, it makes it feel more real at, at that stage, I suppose, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, exactly. Just a couple more quick things on on those. I mean, Apple's revenues right now have, have hit a billion dollars a day for every day of the year, including Sunday. A billion dollars a day in revenue.
1: That's just um, mental, isn't it?
0: and and, and that's up thirty percent over the year. So you're talking about the biggest company in the history of the universe, basically growing its sales at thirty percent, and that theme is repeated throughout those biggest stocks they're actually growing faster than everyone else even though they're already way bigger so microsoft is growing faster now than it was when it was a 10th of the size 20 years ago you know google is up massively this year as well so it continues to defy Popular wisdom, I think. I mean, I just think we, yeah. we see so many. I mean, you talked about the conversation with Charles Cloud, and we talked to so many asset managers who have kind of been cynical and skeptical of those stocks for very good reasons for a long time. It just shows you, the market can make you look sort of pretty silly, I guess. So.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. I've really monopolised that. So now you give me some of your stats.
1: Okay. So my first one is 123, which, and I this is probably slightly outdated data now, but 123 million vaccines administered in the UK. I think if we're talking about stats that define the year although I think we're probably all sick of talking about the covid crisis and where we've got to on it I think it is remarkable how many vaccines have been administered and I think of that about 20 or so is boosters so that that's a really sort of quick last last minute rush if you like towards christmas which clearly is is vital in fighting the virus I think probably if in decades to come we look back at 2021 that is going to be something that we really remember. So it felt worth marking it in this in this summary, really.
0: Yeah, that seems absolutely fair. Totally with you on that. The vaccine numbers, that seems right. Something we'll remember. I suppose one pushback on that would be the sort of global equity of around vaccines. I mean, The Economist put some good numbers out each week, splitting vaccines by the four kind of income levels in the world. And it's just so remarkable how the bottom quartile of countries in terms of wealth and income just have such low vaccine levels still, 8% of adults in that group have had a dose, which is really not very many at all. So that's still pretty stark, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, almost whether you care about it from a humanitarian perspective, which I think is probably the angle most people come to it from, or whether you care about it from a travel perspective, it makes sense to get these other countries that are lacking vaccines vaccinated, because otherwise we're never going to get back to the full extent of sort of global travel that that people had got used to.
0: Absolutely. Even if you just take almost a selfish view, a completely selfish view, you can still argue that because it's a systemic risk. These new variants and everything is a systemic risk that presents to everyone. And so you do at some point need that to, to happen. So yeah, vaccines for sure. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I suppose just one final thought on that. Clearly vaccines and the good news story around vaccines will have been helping support market levels. And we have seen this year, developed markets significantly outperform emerging markets, particularly at certain points in time. And I sort of feel like that's probably got something to do with it.
0: Yeah, that is a good point. That is a good point. And I think that's why, I mean, I guess that's why stock markets have kind of looked through some of the subsequent lockdown announcements a little bit. I mean, obviously, particular sectors get hit pretty hard when lockdowns get announced. But generally speaking, markets haven't really cared that much about lockdowns since the first one. And I guess that's because, once the vaccine was in play, the stock markets have sort of successfully looked through things happening in the shorter term.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What's your next one?
1: So my second stat refers a little bit to our conversation about our most popular episode. So 7,500 is the number of cryptocurrencies that exist in 2021. That compares to 66 in 2013. And this year, we also saw Bitcoin being accepted as legal tender in El Salvador. So you know, small in the global scale, but I think quite a big milestone, if you like, for Bitcoin and for cryptocurrencies. And I suppose there's, so there's partly the, just the obsession that there seems to be at the moment with these currencies. 7,500 astonished me that there's that number of different cryptocurrencies. As someone who hasn't delved into that market in very much detail, I can't, yeah, I must confess, I don't really see how how they can all exist at the same time, but that's my ignorance. The other angle to this, I suppose, is just some of our conversations over the year about personal investing and individual investors being interested in playing on the sort of crypto market, but also just, you know, the number of personal investing accounts the number of people more interested in it the sort of meme stocks all of that sort of stuff i couldn't find stats easily around but the number of cryptocurrencies i could so it was supposed to represent all of that stuff which is cheating a little bit but yeah no i think that
0: is absolutely right that is a big theme of the year for sure and it's an investing theme i've spent a little bit of time trying to familiarize myself with it a little bit and kind of come to understand a little bit more why there might be so many i mean a lot of them are related to things they call protocols and different layers that are being built in the kind of what some people think of as a new version of the web. And you have these communities who spring up and they create these tokens to sort of allocate to the community and those tokens become a cryptocurrency effectively, but they can also be used for for things. So there are some material uses to some of them, I guess, right? So I kind of always push back on that. What a lot of people say was that, oh, it's just a load of gambling tokens that have been randomly created. I think it is a bit, it is a little bit more than that. There's a little bit more than that. But I, I think that tells you one of the risks, actually, to Bitcoin. Ironically, I think one of the biggest risks to Bitcoin is just the other 7,499 cryptocurrencies out there is, is always kind of the issue. And I heard someone say something quite interesting quite recently, and they were contrasting sort of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And they were saying, you know, Bitcoin is like digital gold, which is what Joss was saying. Ethereum is more like programmable money. So it's like money that you can program to do certain thing you might actually use it to transact, whereas Bitcoin you don't use for transactions,
1: ironically. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's why it's gold because you, people store it away. And so that kind of helped me understand that. But I still think there's, yeah, you can view Ethereum as a risk to Bitcoin if you're an investor and as well as all the other things, Solano and Cardano and all that, all that stuff, a lot of which have better, more efficient properties to them, which means they have less environmental impact and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I, funny enough, I think, yeah, I'm not massively bullish on Bitcoin, but I think the bigger risks are the other stuff is going to push it out rather than the whole thing collapses and goes to nothing.
1: Yeah, I suppose it depends how you're why you're holding it. Because if there's some that's more transactionable and there's some that's not, well, cash is transactionable and you hold cash as a very safe investment as well. So if you're viewing them both as investment products then they can threaten each other. If you're viewing one as a transactional product, then then they're different.
0: Yeah, the interesting story out a couple of weeks ago, there's a quite a well-known wealth management firm in the States that I follow quite a lot of their podcasts and their blogs. And they brought out like a sort of an index of about 12 cryptocurrencies that they've turned into a investable product with an ETF firm. So they've sort of tried to go on that basis to say, well, we kind of want to invest in Bitcoin, but we were worried that actually the risk to Bitcoin is other stuff. So they've come up with this. They had a bit of structuring around it, but basically 12 coins in there, including Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are the biggest parts of it, but a bunch of others as well, which that to me was one of the first things I've looked at and thought, okay, that seems a bit, I can see why that makes a bit of sense as an investable thing if you like that area, but are a bit wary about just one of them. But, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to look back on this conversation in 10 years because we will, I mean, sure, either way, we'll be thinking, oh, my God, we were so stupid. Because it'll either either be obviously right or just a complete waste of time.
1: Yeah. Benefit of hindsight. Right, Dan, what's your third stat? Third
0: stat is 2,850. That is the number of IPOs so far this year. I think that was early December, that number. And the reason that is so interesting is because that has eclipsed the all-time record, which stood for, since 2007.
1: Aha, uh-huh, just before the global financial crisis.
0: Just before the crisis, exactly. Yeah. So what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, IPOs have been a huge thing this year, listings, we've obviously seen the SPAC craze. And some of the things have, have boggled the mind, really, haven't they? I mean, talking about cryptos obviously obviously the Coinbase listing done very well, Robinhood listing. I think one kind of standard bearer for the listings was the Rivian IPO, which was that electric truck manufacturer that I think has got some orders maybe but I'm not sure they've sold very many products yet they listed for over 100 billion dollars I think it was so some of some of those IPOs have been a real been a real head scratcher haven't they it feels like you know the market a long time ago got used to accepting companies pre-profit but now it's almost you know pre-revenue not quite pre-product but you know almost that level. And yet they're still absolutely huge in terms of market cap. So Rivian, a hundred billion, whatever. So it's that bizarre thing where some people could argue they're going public too early. Some people could say they're going public far too late because the valuation has already soared. So just a strange sign of the market we're in, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely agree. It's difficult to see how people can count in future earnings in quite such a way, but it does feel like that's that's the case. But yeah, it's it's interesting, the comparison to 2007, certainly. And yeah, the environment that we currently are operating in with so much monetary support, which you'd think can't stay forever.
0: Right. Well, that's a good I'm glad you raised that, actually, because that, that is a good point. That is what a lot of people would point to for why that has happened. I don't know. I, I always slightly resist that because I sort of resist simple explanations of anything. It must be right, I suppose. It must be right to some degree, but I do think there's more, slightly more to it than that. In, in just the way yeah, the market goes through cycles in terms of the view it takes of things and and how much credit it's prepared to give companies early in their journey, basically. And right now, we're in a moment where the market is prepared to give companies a lot of credit very early on in their journey and take a very, to basically discount a really good outcome very early on, whereas in previous cycles, they were much more severe in terms of how they discounted. it, And maybe that is to do with monetary policy, I guess, if it's discounting.
1: But then the market can also change its mind very quickly. So the market can be very very bullish when a company first IPOs and then in a slightly different environment, very not confident at all in that company and future earnings. But we know that. That's why equity markets are, as we know and love, I suppose, aren't they? So do you want to do your final stat, Dan?
0: Yeah. Final one, actually, you sort of alluded to this a second ago a little bit. Final one was minus 5.5%.
1: I was trying to get a negative one. I'm glad you got one in. Yeah, and that
0: was actually the largest drawdown of the MSCI ACQUI index this year. So global equity index minus five and a half percent. That's the most it fell from. Any peak to trough this year, which is not very That's much. Tiny. Yeah. yeah. Tiny. Really so, but, so as you said, there were a few little pullbacks. I mean, when the Omicron variant first came out, you know, it was a month or so ago, there was a bit of a pullback. There's been a few more during the year. They did feel at the time, it, they did feel like significant, but they were really small in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I think you'd normally expect a 10, 15% pullback every year, even in years where the market's up. So, yeah, you got to stand back and think it's been a remarkably bullish year in the stock market in every possible way. There's so many new hires, very, very shallow falls and pullbacks. And that's been the year.
1: That's been the year. It's also been, if I go to my next stat, the year of 7.1, <laughs> which is the increase in RPI over the year to end November, which obviously is the latest we've got available at the moment. I've chosen RPI because it's a bigger number. CPI is about 2% below that, but that's still five, CPI at 5%. We obviously spoke quite recently to Jonathan Canfield on an episode focused just on inflation. So check that out if you're if you're interested in the reasons why inflation has been so high, I suppose. For me, there's the sort of two angles to it. Well, it's probably three angles. So one is that's a really high number. Will it stay? And I think as we've discussed with John, elements of it look like they probably will stay and are much more structural. And perhaps there are some elements that are slightly shorter term in, in nature. But I think we are still in for a fairly high inflation environment. And then the sort of second angle is again coming back to sort of individual investors and thinking about how, well, not just investors, but individuals, and thinking about how you live in a high inflationary world, because I certainly don't remember inflation being this sort of level, particularly for a sustained period of time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Dan. You, you, you've absolutely hit on what must surely be one of the key themes of the year is is inflation, isn't it? And it isn't just UK, right? I guess you could have picked 6.8, which is the, the US inflation reading that's the highest since the early 80s, I think it was, wasn't it? That came out just a few weeks ago as well. So it's it's a global thing. It's been a big theme of the year. And yes, to that last point you just made, I just this morning saw a, a chart on LinkedIn, actually, someone had try to figure out the percentage of people working in banking and finance that would have remembered when inflation was a problem. And they think it was only 23% of people currently working would remember when inflation was a problem. I'm a bit surprised it was that much, to be honest. They're, they're saying you need to be 55 years and over to remember when it was a problem. So I guess they're sort of... Taking that back to people who were growing up in the 80s, I suppose, is, is kind of what they've or a bit more known, a bit more than growing up in the 80s, who were in their teens, maybe in the 80s.
1: So that means a quarter of our workforce are 55 or over in that industry, sorry.
0: which That's what they think, but that doesn't sound feels, totally right to me. Yeah.
1: Feels worrying. <laughs> We've got all these 55-year-old bankers that are thinking, brilliant, I'll just retire at 55 because I can. And then we lose a quarter of the bankers. Interesting. We'll see how that one plays out, won't we, in the next few years, if it's a correct stat. My final stat, I was really keen to get one which was zero.
0: Nice. I like it. Nice. Very good. Yeah, well <laughs> But done, if you well Google
1: done. what didn't happen in 2021, you get all kinds of different articles. So what I've gone with is zero tweets from Donald Trump since the 8th of January. Obviously, that was the point at which he was permanently barred from Twitter. And it really, for me, just serves as a bit of a reminder of how we started the year. So, the very start of 2021, we had all the drama around, obviously, US election result was in 2020, but we had the drama around Biden coming into office. We had the some of the by-elections. We had the events at the Capitol, which obviously led to Trump's barring from Twitter. And I almost forgot that that's how we started the year, because obviously a lot of other stuff has happened. But I also probably at the start of the year thought there'd be more noise from Biden on various Various matters, and clearly he's been there. He's been operating. He's been, he's been in office. But from a global news perspective, it feels like things are quieter than I might have expected. So yeah, just a reflection really on on what what didn't happen really.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because it is sometimes you sort of review the year, and you're always biased towards this, really the second half of the year and probably the last quarter. But yeah, taking us right back to January, it does feel like a different that was yeah I mean that was the Georgia Senate election wasn't it it was just after the US election that was where where we sort of started the year really and that, that does feel does feel a long time ago. I was I just thought I would get up a quick chart of the Twitter share price. Twitter shares are actually down since that happened. They did fall at the time then they rose a lot and so at one point they were up nearly fifty percent on the year and they're now down again. So yeah I don't know what to make of that in terms of what Twitter's doing. But Twitter shares I don't think have been a particularly great investment for quite a long time actually. Okay, so quick fire round then, three people that defined the year, go.
1: Okay, so mine are Greta Thunberg, fairly obvious reasons, COP26. I think her sort of glory year was probably more like 2019, but I think she is, for me, a a fairly defining figure in in the sort of climate-type story. So, so felt worth having. Elon Musk, I've noticed, has just been named Times Person of the Year. I'm not naming him my Person of the Year, I'm naming him a defining person of the year, which I think for me is quite different. I'm not saying that I'm a, a fan or or that I dislike Elon Musk. I just think there's been a, a big story around it. I think that it feels like this is the year that electric cars have really come to the fore as part of the solution for the climate problem. And clearly he was well ahead of the curve on that, but there's been obviously various news stories in different directions for him. And then my final one, again, thinking of people who defined the year and for me personally, or for me sitting in the UK, and I couldn't get away from Boris Johnson, sorry. I know he's probably not the most popular figure at the moment, but he has defined many moments of the year. And that's just because he's a figurehead for announcements, really. But yeah, so that's my three. How about you, Dan?
0: Well, good. I mean, that's a nice little lister, actually, because you, you've obviously brought the climate theme in, which, of course, has been huge this year. So it's good to be able to work that in. So you're basically saying climate, electric cars and innovation and kind of UK domestic politics and our prime minister are kind of three. I yeah, couldn't really argue with that. I certainly had the first two of those in my mind. But the three I've gone for are Kathy Wood, Albert Baller, and Vlad Tenev. I'll just explain who those people are. So Kathy Woods, people may have heard of, she's the founder and portfolio manager for a company called ARC Investments. And she must have one of the best track records in the world over the last three or five years. I just checked her fund has outperformed the S&P by about 250% over the last three years, not 250 basis points, 250%. <laughs> and it's actually in quite a big drawdown as well. So it was way more ahead of that than it was before. Yeah. you know, So a couple of themes that she represents. And that was my point here. Each of these I chose because they represented several different themes, I thought. So obviously she's a female founder and portfolio manager in a world where we could do a lot more of those, I guess. She's made some really bullish forecasts on the Tesla share price, which were just roundly laughed at at the time, but have actually all come true. So a bit linked to your second theme, that she was one of the few people who was able to see what Tesla could be and what was... What was going on, not to go down the Tesla rabbit hole at all, but (laughs) it is what it is in terms of what's happened. I felt one of the themes of the year was this idea that you could no longer think about tech as one big grouping. Because you've got those biggest tech stocks that have just surged ahead, but you've got that other group that have actually done really badly. And there's almost a a meltdown, a crash going on in that other group of stocks. And funnily enough, those are the ones that Kathy Wood actually earns quite a lot of, owns quite a lot of. And her fund is actually down about 20% this year versus the S&P, which is up 25%, so quite a big underperformance this year. But it's the sort of stocks like Roku and Teladoc and Zillow and DocuSign and all, all those sort of ones that, that are kind of low or n- no earnings that, that have done really badly while the biggest ones have surged forward. So that's one of my themes of the year is that splitting of tech into two camps, uh, which sort Kathy of Cathy Wood represents. Just quickly, another one's in Albert Baller. He's the CEO of Pfizer. So it kind of ties into one of your themes. They've made about 33 billion in vaccine revenues. Some very positive headlines out recently about their antiviral pill, which could be out next year in a bit of a bigger way. So that could be a bigger thing we're talking about. And also on a slightly separate theme, I guess, that just mRNA as a technology, as a future of health type play could really be quite big. So I suppose I've, I've got him representing that as well. And then my final choice, Vlad Tenev. People might not have heard of him. He's the founder and CEO of Robinhood, which is an investment platform in the US for trading stocks that's become very popular in the last couple of years. They IPO'd this year themselves, Robinhood. But yeah, I guess he represents the trend for IPOs, the trend for meme stocks, the power of retail investors, a lot of those things we sort of alluded to a little bit already, I suppose. But for good and bad, he was heavily criticized at certain points of the year as well. So I'm I'm not saying whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it it's defined the year I think in many ways
1: yeah absolutely so we've both gone for some people that we don't necessarily agree with but we do think are significant in 2021 cool okay so I think we just left with recommendations. recommendations do you want to go it. first Dan two recommendations for us
0: I'm going to go with two series that I've really enjoyed on Netflix so, oh actually no sorry one of them was on Amazon Prime I think Succession oh yeah love that you've seen it
1: No, it's been recommended to me about five times, so I really need to get going. Maybe that's a Christmas watch.
0: Yeah, well, they're in the third series now, so you've got a treat. You've got a bit of binge-watching to get through. The first two series are on Amazon. The third one is on now or something, I think, here. It's great. It's a great plot. The characters are thoroughly unlikable. They're just absolutely detestable, awful people, horrendous people. And you're never quite sure if it's... Is it a comedy? Is it a satire? Is it a spoof? Is it a pastiche? It's somewhere in there, (laughs) and you never quite know. But there are some great lines, and the acting, I think, is, is pretty good. So I'd recommend that. And the other one... One slightly different tack is a little series called Colin in Black and White.
1: Oh, I haven't heard of it. I don't know if it. you heard of
0: that. It's on came out on Netflix recently. So it's Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if you're familiar with him. So he is was a well-known American football player, and he started the kneeling for the national anthem movement in the U.S., about five years ago. And he was obviously heavily criticised by Trump and other people. But he's effectively become, I suppose, a figurehead for that movement, for the kind of racial equality kind of movement in the US. He's become quite a spokesperson for it, I suppose. And he he's, this little series following him as a kid, basically, through some of the, through a lot of the structural issues he had to face, basically, a lot of the structural racism that he faced as a kid. But he's just brilliant in it. He effectively narrates it and talks about it. And it just deals with so many really interesting thought-provoking issues and it made me think differently about a lot of those things as well as just being brilliantly well made and kind of putting him to the fore which i thought was really good so i recommend that
1: fantastic yeah something that makes you think differently definitely that's a, a good test of a good good series isn't it so my two recommendations i've got a book and a tv program so the book is green lights which is matthew mcconaughey's autobiography i actually listened to it as an audiobook and he he narrates it he reads it out and it's fantastic. I mean, if you've got long car journeys coming up over the Christmas period, I'd highly recommend listening while you drive. And I guess for me, he's got an incredible story. He's got a very interesting and difficult start to life, really. Obviously goes through the him becoming famous and various quite crazy experiences that he's had since that point. And clearly he's got the luxury of of being well, being in the public eye, being famous, obviously earning, earning enough money to do some of these crazy things. But a lot of the book is actually focused before that, before he was in that luxury position. He starts it by saying, this is not a self-help book. But actually, there were lots of his experiences where the concept of green lights, which is obviously is the name of the book, you know, he sort of uses that concept to get through a, a difficult period. And it just really resonated the concept of looking for the green light And sort of having that positive take on on life.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, so I read this as well. Actually, I really liked it too. I didn't listen to it. Maybe I should have done because I do actually quite like listening to books sometimes. I loved the green light concept. I mean, a couple of crazy stories from his childhood, right? So like some bizarre stuff that happened there. I don't want to give any spoilers out, but it's not what you expect. But I I love the green lights concept, and I kind of applied it in my own life a little bit. Just when you're kind of trying to reflect back on your week or on your month, I, I think it's a really nice way of of thinking about things. So yeah, and I can get behind that as well.
1: Yeah. Nice. My TV show is called Click. And I can't remember if it's BBC or Channel 4. Hopefully it's one of those two. It's really short episodes and it's sort of technology advancements. So a lot, as you'd expect at the moment, a lot of it is focused on technology that helps with the climate transition. So it might be edible algae, it might be various electric vehicles and how they're used commercially. It could be gaming interface as well so it's it's just quite interesting it's short and sweet the presenters are generally quite good i find it's quite a good sort of 10 minute lunchtime just switch off watch something that's quite interesting and and you learn about where the world might be going as a result of technology
0: nice okay yeah i'll check that out
1: and we will put a link in the show notes so i will work out where it is first and listeners can find it there
0: yeah well we will put some show notes together for this episode and yeah you find them in the usual place. All right. Well, is that a wrap? I think it's a wrap. Well, you know, look, it's been a lot of fun this year. Really enjoyed it. I mean, thanks so much, Mary, for being there, co-hosting it. And a thank you to all the listeners for sticking with us. You know, I think it's been good, hasn't it?
1: It has. Yeah, it's been great fun. Look forward to 2022. Can't quite believe I'm saying that, but yeah, see you on the other side. Happy Christmas and happy new year.